welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. So we're looking this morning in Isaiah. We're in a, uh, a series right now that, that we've been following. And uh, I say following, I mean that we've been committed to. Um, and, you know, um, thus far we've covered a lot of ground. I mean, there's a lot more to be covered, but we've covered a lot of ground. And what a blessing it is to just see God unfold the big picture. You know, I'm, I'm a big picture guy. What do I mean by that? You know, you, you can look at a picture and you can see little specific things, right? Clouds and bushes and cows and fences and grass. But I'm, I'm the guy that needs to see it all together. <laughs> I can't just look at one of those and focus in on it. I kind of, you know, I have to really work hard to be able to focus in on that one thing. I want to see how it all fits together. And I'm kind of that way about a lot of areas in my life. And, and that's a good thing. And yet at the same time, it can be a bad thing because sometimes you can't see the forest because of the trees, right? You, you, sometimes you can't see the trees because of the forest. Yeah, I'm, the, I'm the guy that doesn't see the trees when it's right in front of my face. You know, but all that kind of stuff, what does that all mean? Well, we're going to come back to how that might tie in some, especially in the book of Isaiah, because the book of Isaiah is a book given us by God, don't ever forget that, as he spoke to the heart of Isaiah, for us to see how he is working in various ways among his people and among the world. And, and in this particular section we're going to look at today, we're going to be focused in on how God is addressing uh, judgment in the life of some kings and also judgment in eternity's sake for Satan and his efforts to cause havoc among the world. And so we're going to look at some of the, all that together. Uh, so I've, Isaiah, though, is full of many revelations. We've been looking at several of those up to this point. Uh, in the first few weeks, first week we looked at how God really was concerned about his people not really knowing who he was. You know, if you remember that sermon I preached, you don't know me. You know, they thought they did, but they didn't. They didn't really know him. And then the second, the second sermon was about him telling him, well, here, here's who I really am. I'm holy. I'm way holier than you ever thought I was. Then in that third message, we looked at, you know, the promise of a king and how he would come and rule righteously and and, and even though that there were some pretty bad, despicable kings that Isaiah was dressing and dealing with, there will be a king who will rule righteously and perfectly in every respect. We looked at that issue. Last week, uh, Brother Derek helped us look at that whole issue of how to praise God in the midst of hard times. And things you don't think there's things to praise him, there's plenty of things to praise him there in chapter 12. And what a blessing it was to get our minds wrapped around that. Today we're going to be focusing in on the reality that, uh, uh, and, and addressing the enemy of God and his people. The reality that the enemy of God and his people will be judged. They will be. And, and they'll come to an end. And God alone will reign on the earth. The word of God teaches us that. And we want to get a, a focus on that, on how that affects us and how that should be affecting us in our daily life. For me, it's always about that this week I you know, spent a lot of time studying this section of Scripture, but also just praying through how to communicate that. I try to do that every week. But in this particular week, 
without any surprise, I realized it throughout the week, the enemy was just fighting me, trying to keep me distracted, trying to get me to chase all kinds of rabbits, you know, instead of really trying to get me to not see the tree in front of me. This week, the tree in front of me is addressing that topic. Instead of chasing all the other viewpoints, issues. And so, you know, that's what happens a lot of time. But as I, as I focus in, I feel like God's really going to help us see what he wants us to see about that. Because there are many things that we could be chasing, you know. And sometimes we look at a passage of scripture and we don't know which one it's addressing. And sometimes, like I said with the kids, sometimes it's addressing more than one thing. And the passages we're looking at this week is like that. It's addressing judgment for kings that were attacking the people of God. Later on, they would be facing judgment. But it's also addressing the end of age and the judgment of Satan himself. And you're going to say, well, how, how did we get to that? We're going to look at that in just a moment. But sometimes it's, it's both. Looking at us and looking away. <laughs> sometimes it's both. Let's look at Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. This is that passage that that gets our, our, our minds going in this issue of, well, is this really referring just to the kings of the day, or is this also referring to Satan? And many theologians think that it's both. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning. If you've got a King James Version, it says Lucifer there, which you might wonder, well, why do some translations have that, and some translations don't list the name Lucifer? You want a little bit of church history here real quick? So it was this guy named Jerome who translated the Old Testament for believers to Latin. And Star of the Morning is a verse, I mean, is, is a word in Latin. Guess what the word is? Lucifer. <laughs> so then coming down the line... Later on, when the translators of the King James Bible translated into the King James Bible in 1611, a couple hundred years later, they then, guess what they used to translate into English? They used the Latin Vulgate. The Latin Vulgate was what Jerome was a part of. And so they came to that verse and saw the Latin word there, and translated it into English, Lucifer. Is that a problem? It's no problem at all. It's still the same truth, right? The original Greek and Hebrew is without any mixture of error. But I'm trying to help you understand, how, why do we have one book that has a name, Lucifer specifically, and another book that refers to Star of the Morning, or Morning Star, or however it might be translated. But now, the question then becomes, how do we know... This is not just a reference specifically just to the kings, but could also be a reference to Satan. I'm going to get to that, okay? Hang on, we'll come back to that. Start of the morning, son of, the dawn, son of dawn. You've been cut down to the earth. You who have weakened the nations. Let's go on. But you said in your heart, I will send to heaven. I will raise to the throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make, himself, make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, 
to the recesses of the pit. Now, here's what you have to understand historically. Historically, all of this context could be understood in referencing the Babylonian king. Because those are all terms that related to himself, put it, pitting himself as a god among the peoples. He referred to himself as a god among the people. And so a lot of this, people will look at this and say, well, oh, this is all just about judging the kings of that day. But we know of other places in Scripture, right, that also speak these term, this type of terminology referencing not other kings, but Satan himself. Now we can go over to Ezekiel chapter 28, and you see there a passage referencing the king of Tyre in the first few verses, but then you see direct, clear changing of direction, obviously referencing Satan himself who had fallen. And so you've got those two pieces. And then you go to Revelation, then you see some more things. So what am I talking about here? I'm talking about understanding how to interpret a passage and how we can know, is it really relating to Satan as well? And I, I believe it is. But here, here's the issue. We're talking about two ways of looking at Scripture. Now I'm going to get a little more. We're getting educational today, aren't we? You know, some of y'all don't know, and some of y'all forgot. I got a master's degree. I just don't even use it much. <laughs> you know? And so, I, you know, I studied all this years ago, and I study it still throughout the years, but sometimes I realize it's just like, you know, when you start talking in these circles, it's like deer and headlight stuff, and so I don't like to do it much. But I think it's helpful today for us to get our minds wrapped around some of this so we can understand how to read Scripture when we script, uh, read it. So this, there is a word called ontology. Anybody ever heard of that? So the ontological way of viewing prophetic teachings for many is that they evolve over time. And there is an evolutionary view of theology in the ontological approach. Okay? That's, that's really important to know. Not really. <laughs> but then there's this other thing we call epistemology. Anybody ever heard of that word? Epistemology is the study of knowledge, but it's really more than just the study of knowledge itself. It's actually dealing with the uh, issue of progressive revelational theology and the viewpoint of understanding that the more knowledge I gain, it reveals information that helps me understand knowledge as a whole. That's how we get the understanding we have about Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, having reference connection to who Satan is. Because as revelational theology, revelational mean, meaning the making known of something, as revelational theology about who Satan is came to life, to light in the people of God, they began to realize, oh, this is about him also. Oh, this is about him also, because it applies in those contexts. Does that make sense? So here, here's, why, here's why it's important for you to have some of this understanding. Because everybody you know in this day and time that we walk in that's not a believer questions whether this thing you call the Bible is really the Word of God or not. And you're all the time going to it saying it's that, but how, it don't even fit together. You say this means this and it don't even address that. That's the way they want to approach it. But if you know and have stability with the legs that you stand on, 
you're able to respond and say, well, you just don't know what you don't know. <laughs> and if you had some time, we could sit down and talk about it. But I didn't get here just out of an idiot's viewpoint. I got here because I began to study the word and it showed itself approved to me. And so this is the importance of really studying Scripture and understanding. You know why you stand where you stand. Now, having said all that, let's, let's get our mind wrapped around the thought of the question at hand or the issue at hand in this, these passages. We're looking really at a big swatch of Scripture again. We're backing up and looking at the whole picture again. And as we back up and look at the whole picture, we're really talking about chapters 13 all the way up through 25. And in those, that whole section, there's an issue being addressed here. And that issue being addressed is whether or not, uh, or why God in the, in the world would allow evil. Why has God allowed these evil kingdoms to exist? And the people of God were struggling, just like you do sometimes. Why has God let bad things happen to good people? I mean, why is this happening in the world around me? Why would God let the enemy do what he's doing in the world today? Because he could stop it, right? Like that. I know you never have those thoughts and questions. Yeah, I have them all the time. <laughs> I want to know, right? Well, these people were going through the same thing. I'm sure this was a question for many of God's people at the day, just like it is us. And Isaiah is being used of God to speak to that issue. He's trying to help his people understand what's about to happen, the punishment for them doing wrong. But then they didn't really get a hold of that, and they're crying and whining about why is everything going bad in my life? And God begins to let them know. But then, as God tells them he's going to use these kings to straighten them out, he then also lets them know evil is never okay even when I choose to use it to straighten you out. In other words, there will be an accounting and a judgment for the activity in life. Yours included. I'm pausing intentionally. Let's not just set that aside and think that doesn't matter. God cares. Okay? So I'm going to come back to that too. Just let that mill around in your head a little bit. And let's look at the, uh, the, this issue together. I want to I first get our minds wrapped around this thought. Anything that God allows, I'm choosing my words carefully, anything that God allows has a purpose. You realize that? Anything that God allows has a purpose. God could change and stop anything just like that. You realize that, right? He spoke and the world came. <laughs> he could speak and stop whatever's going on. Now, I, I'm using my words carefully for this reason. I understand the scripture to say that God is good. No evil can come from him. You say, well, but, but isn't he sovereign? Yes, he is. He could stop evil anytime he wants. Well, since he doesn't stop, it doesn't mean, doesn't mean that in some way he's the author of evil. No, it doesn't. Totally different mindset. You can't say that because the character and nature of God refuses you to be able to. But he allowed it. Yeah, he did. Why? That's, that's our question, isn't it? Why? I mean, why not just make everything perfect? Nobody ever suffers. Everybody gets everything they want. You know, on and on and on we go. I mean, 
don't, don't get me starting to preach about another hundred sermons right now over that issue alone. There's a lot of problems with that mentality. But we do want to somehow address a little bit of understanding that God does allow some of that and he has a purpose in allowing it. Israel did not understand the oppression of the, in, of the enemy, the Assyrians. They were struggling with that. Why are the Assyrians eating our lunch? God, why are you letting this happen? We're the people of God. We're the special ones, remember? Oh, that's right. You remember because you're the one that called us. <laughs> why is this all taking place? You ever been there? I mean, you've got stuff going on in your life that you, you realize the devil's behind it all, and you just wonder, God, why are you letting this happen? Or, you know, you're struggling and suffering through some area of life, and you're, God, why are you letting this happen? I mean, do you think he doesn't know what's up? You ever, you ever realize how, how we pray that way a lot of times? We go talking to God and we start giving him all the information that he didn't know. And what he needs to do to fix it. God, if you'll do this, 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 and this, then everything will be okay. Oh man, I'm so glad you told me that. Can you imagine God? <laughs> a lot of times that's the way we pray. We pray as if God doesn't know what's up and God doesn't know how to fix it. I'm going to go help him know and, and get him straightened out. It's not like that. God does know. There's a lot of things going on with why God may have allowed something. And it might be that the process of him changing that is involving you learning how to depend on him and to walk in faith. That's a whole other issue. I mean, like I said, there's a hundred sermons on that issue. Maybe more. <laughs> but we want to we understand that sometimes God allows things like that happen for a lot of reasons. Chapter 10 reveals... God was using the Assyrians to shape the diamond in the rough of Israel. And he was doing a great work in their life for a reason. Israel had a history of getting close to God, embracing the things of God, and then when things got real good, what happened? They drifted away. Yeah, they forget about him. I mean, God, I mean, started it from day one. God gets them out of Egypt, takes them out of weight from the, the known power of the world. They walk out with all kinds of stuff, go through a sea that gets split up for them, get to the mountain to make a deal with God to be their people. Moses goes up to get some instruction. Hey, by the way, Aaron, where are you, man? We need a calf. What? And that goes over and over and over in the life of the people of God. How sad. Interesting. Did you know. At this season in the life. Of the Israelites. God's saying I'm going to use the Assyrians. And you're getting ready to go into captivity for 70 years. Isaiah and Jeremiah. Part of preaching about all that. 70 years. Do you know what happened. After the 70 years that's unique. To the life of Israel. Did you know that after they came out of captivity, they never again as a nation, as a nation of leaders, allowed or embraced the concept of idolatry and the worship of foreign gods again? Did you know that? I mean, before that, they're doing it all over the place. They're raising uh, altars on high mountains. They're sacrificing their kids. They're involving in whatever God of the land that they moved into became part of their life. Did you know they don't do that anymore after Babylon? 
I'm not saying they didn't have problems and they didn't still have issues to grow in the Lord. I'm saying as a nation, they no longer welcomed the gods of the land as their gods ever again. Do you think God accomplished something pretty special? Through what they thought was a horrible thing going on? Yeah, drew them a little closer. And that's always about what's going on in the heart of God. It's drawn us closer. Let me, let me just get this thought going in your mind. What about you and what about me? Have you ever thought that maybe some of the tough stuff we're going through, some of the things God hasn't intervened on that we thought he should, might be a part of a plan to clean up some mess in our life? That he's constantly waiting for us to get to the place that he really wants us to be? He could make it just like as, as slick as ice if he wanted to, but he chooses not to so that we would somehow find ourselves dependent on him, somehow find ourselves calling out to him, somehow find ourselves drawing closer to him, and maybe finally get to that point that it's real to us. And that now this is what we really want in our life instead of just hoping to get our stuff fixed and get what we want. Maybe that's part of what's going on. Nobody can answer that question but you and him. You know where you are with him. I mean, is your, is your relationship with God all give me what I need based? Or is it getting to the point where you will be able to say, Hear, O Israel, there was one God and we won't serve anymore anymore, any others anymore. We won't give our heart away to anybody else anymore. I don't know. We've got to be honest with ourselves. What's going on? You know, there's a whole other issue that might be going on because this was an issue that was going on in Israel too when God allows hard things into our life and the enemy's not held back more than we think he ought to be and all that kind of stuff. Maybe we made our own mess and it's not God's fault. Hmm. I went preaching to meddling now, I know. But how about we get honest sometimes and say, God... Help me. I mean, that's what happened to Isaiah when he saw God for who he really was. The first thing out of his mouth is, woe is me. I'm a mess, and I'm living among a people that's a mess. Chris Reber interpretation. Sorry, I made a little change there. Same point, though. I'm unclean, and I live among a people who's unclean in their lips, and the way we even just speak about life. Well, that's the first thing I see in this contextual issue of what's really going on and as we apply it to ourselves we gotta we gotta ask and answer that hard question and sometimes the hard answer is we're in need of some cleaning up ourselves if we get honest I remember getting to this place in my life years ago when I quit blaming God for everything are you there yet hope you are I quit blaming God for everything a lot of people that's what they do they blame God I remember a person I was counseling one time and, they, and their response was I don't know why God's so mad at me I said why do you think God's so mad at you because well, all these things weren't going the way they wanted them to go <laughs> maybe God really loves you and God's wanting to address some things and when I begin to start to understand that whatever God allows in my life, there's a purpose behind it. 
He could have stopped it. He could have changed it, but he didn't. Because he's God. He can do that stuff. Listen, we've got an understanding of God and an understanding of Satan. Some people think they're co-equals. They are not. They are not. There's not a yin and a yang here. There's a God Almighty totally in charge and a Satan that is subservient to him that God allows to have access in areas at times. I'm speaking to you epistemologically. <laughs> okay? Go back to Job. See how he's allowed to work. Go to other places in the scripture. You'll see it. It's true. God's in charge. Yeah, look in the mirror. God's in charge. And if he's allowing something going on, he's got a reason for it. Because he is in charge. And so when you go to God and you're struggling with where you are, it's nothing wrong with asking God for deliverance from where you are. That might be where he has you, learning how to trust him in faith, learning how to walk in faith, learning how to depend on him, and really believing it. Sometimes that's all that's going on. That's enough. <laughs> Sometimes there's some nastiness going on in our lives that he's trying to root out of us, like idol worship of some kind. And it's taken something pretty harsh to get it done. Maybe you're not like me. But sometimes I'm like that old song, Christian song. Some people got to learn the hard way. <laughs> I'm the kind of guy that's got to find out for myself <laughs> the hard way. God would love us to get to the place. It don't have to be the hard. And I'll be honest and tell you, of course, I'm sure you're glad I'm being honest, right? Uh, <laughs> but I'm just going to tell you, one of the greatest things of growing up in the Lord is you don't have to learn the hard way anymore. You get to finally say, God, I know there's a reason. I don't have to know. If you choose to let me know, that's great. But I'm not on a need-to-know basis because I trust you. By the way, that's a whole other sermon there. I'm throwing you a lot of extra sermons in here today for you. Okay? Are you on a need-to-know basis because you can't trust God? Or can you really trust God and say, God, if you tell me, that's great, but I don't really need to know. I trust you. If you can get to that place, it's not because you've checked your mind at the door. It's because you've so deepened your thought of spiritual growth mentally with God that you know you can just trust Him. And you don't have to fight him over it anymore. You don't have to have a battle. You can say, okay, God, you're God. What do I need to learn? Where am I going through here? Show me what you want me to, what you want me to see. Well, that part of the sermon was longer because the second part's a lot quicker. That's first thought. God knows what's going on. He's in charge. And we can trust him for that, okay? And if he's allowed it, there's a reason. Here's the second thing. Just because God allows evil sometimes to work in our lives to produce an end that he's after does not mean that God condones evil. The world is wrong about that. Whoever's debating you about those ideas, they're just wrong. God is not the author of evil. And he does not say it's okay ever. It's never okay in the sense that he thinks it's just wonderful to have. No, that's not what he wants. 
We know that John 10, 10 tells us that, right? We know the enemy loves evil, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What's God do? And have it more abundantly. That's the heart of God. So just because he's allowed certain things not to, ha or to happen in order to get us to the place that we can walk in life in abundance and enjoy it, it doesn't mean that he somehow has winked at evil and said that it's okay to him. It's not okay. And it's pretty clear in Scripture that it's not okay. James 1.3 says this, Let no man say when he's tempted that he's tempted of God. It should be up there. 113, yeah. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. And what's that saying to us? Not only did God cannot be tempted, God would not tempt with evil. He cannot be, nor would he tempt anyone that way. He's not using evil in the sense of inflicting it upon you, because he wants you to just see how tough you are. It's not like that. <laughs> it's that he knows he could stop it. Let me, one of the first times I understood this was when my father passed. I was 12 years old. I came to the Lord at 17. And for still about another six months or so, I struggled really with this whole idea. Because from 12 to 17, I mean, that's five years. What kind of God that's supposed to be loving takes the dad of a 12-year-old boy that knows he's a daddy's boy. That's where I lived for five years. And I rebelled every way I could during that time. And then finally came to Christ and realized he really does love me through Christ's example of that. I couldn't deny that. So I gave my heart to him, but then I'm still struggling with, yeah, but what about this? I know you love me. I know you died on the cross for me, but I can't get over this. And then one day I'm, in, <laughs> I'm just saying, God, what, what is that all about? You could have stopped that and you didn't. Some guy stood up. Do you remember Alan McNeil? I don't know if Connie remembers all of this, but she, we weren't, I don't think we were dating yet. Guy stood up at church one day and shared testimony. And he was talking about how he didn't have a father in his life. And Psalm 68, verse 5 said, A father to the fatherless and a husband to the widow is our God. And I just, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I just got overwhelmed. And for the first time in my life, said, God, thank you for not stopping what I thought you should stop. Because I wouldn't have the heart that I have for you right now without that. You might say, well, yeah, you could. God could have done it a thousand different ways. You don't know me like he does. And he knew what I needed. You mean you, you actually thanked God that he let your dad die? I did. And I do. Because he knows more than I do. And I'm at the point now that I really trust him. I really do. So sometimes we, we think we know what's going on and we don't. So don't think that God's the author of evil in any way. He may allow it to happen to use it for some reason, but he wants good for you, not bad. And in his allowance for some reason, I promise you his desire in the outcome is way better than it could have been if he had not allowed what he allowed. 
And you got to get to the point that you can trust him with that. And if you can't trust him with that, here's the truth. You're not going to like this. If you can't trust him with that, you've decided you're smarter than God. And that you've got a better handle on things than he does. I'm not willing to say that. <laughs> I hope you're not either. So God's doing all kinds of things we don't understand sometimes, right? What about 1 John 1, 5? Could have read the rest of that, but I'm expediting a little bit. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. Here we go. Hang on to this with all your worth. God is light, and in him... There is no darkness at all. You do understand the reference to darknesses here. It's not just about being pitch black. It's about connection with evil in general. And he's not like that. Be assured of this. Without any doubt in your mind, be assured of this. God hates evil. And the evil way. You know, I get my mind wrapped around this and it just gets deeper and deeper. You mean to tell me that God hates evil, but he loves me so much that if he sees some evil issue happening in my life might produce what is really the best for me, that which he hates so much he will allow because he loves me. Have you ever looked at it that way? I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy when you think about it. That's all power and authority right there. Psalm 5.4 says this. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. It's just not. No evil dwells in you. Romans 12.9 says this. Let love be genuine. Did I forget that one, Amos? Romans 12.9. I might have. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Hold fast to that. Our heart needs to be like God's heart, right? We need to have that same mentality. That we love what is good and we hate. We hate what is evil. There's another verse of scripture I didn't put in here. It just comes to my mind. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And to hate evil. Well, let's get to the last thing. Ties in some of this stuff that Isaiah was preaching to him about. This evil that God hates, we also know it to be sin, right? It's all akin. It's all part of the same package. Evil and sin will always, every single time, always be judged by God. Don't doubt it. Don't think somebody's getting away without it. It's not. I know where some of your minds are running, and we're, I'm going to get in there pre really when it deals to how Jesus applies to all that. But just don't mistake this. God does not wink at evil, and God does not let it go unchecked. Even if he should somehow be willing to use it. That's what I, Isaiah was trying to tell him. Here's this king messing up all your all's lives, but don't worry. They're going to give an account for their evilness. 
The Assyrians are going to be judged. And by the way, all those other eight kings of your day that have been messing up by the numbers, they're going to be judged too. And so he goes through eight kings and kingdoms in a row, nine really, and tells how they're all going to be judged. How they're all going to pay a price for their wickedness. That God does not wink at wickedness. He never will wink at wickedness. And so we need to be confident that that's true. And the scripture speaks to that whole issue all over the place. And by the way, who's behind all that? Well, he's not getting off easy either. The father of lies. That's one of the reasons, epistemologically, I think this has some reference to Satan as well. And you see some other scriptures that ties that all together as you look at it. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, it says this. Do we have that one? Oh, I lost my scripture reference person. Now we've seen the familiar, you can pick it up. Thank you for your help. <laughs> Revelation 20.10 says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur. Oh, here you go, and brimstone. If you got that translation. Where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever. He ain't getting away with anything. How come the devil's be able to do whatever he wants to do and he doesn't have to pay the price? Yeah, he does. He paid a price forever and ever. It ain't something God's winking at and taking lightly. And by the way, all people, all his people, all the followers of Satan, all those people that, that choose the evil way, the wicked way, they're going to pay a price too. I mean, we're taught this in Scripture from way back. Numbers 32, 23. You remember that verse, some of you? But if you will not, well, here it is. But if you will not do so, that's the stuff God's calling you to do. Behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and you ain't getting away with it. That's what it says. Be sure your sin will find you out. It'll catch up with you. Well, how about Romans 2.16? On that day... According to my gospel, Paul's teaching that is Christ's gospel. As you study scripture, you understand that. God will judge the secrets. Oh, wait a minute. You mean not even the things? I mean, I'm not even going to get away with the things nobody else knows about? Mm -mm. No. No, you're not. There'll be an account for sin, and there always has been or always will be in the heart of God. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne. Oh boy, here's where it happens. For all those that are not in Christ Jesus, this is the great white throne judgment. We're going to read several verses of scripture here. Then I saw a great white throne, him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small. Oh, you mean everybody. The big wigs and the not so big wigs standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. We'll come back to this. This is pretty crucial. And when, and when the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up their dead which were in it, and, the dead, and death and Hades gave up the, the dead which were in them. And they were judged 
every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name, oh, here it is again, was not found in that book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This book of life, you've heard it referred to other times as the Lamb's book of life. We'll come back to that. This book of life is a, is a book in which there's a record of those who are in the Lamb's book of life which are covered by the blood of the Lamb. And you're in it or you're not in it. You're not almost in it. You're not a hope to be in it. You're in it or you're not in it. Revelation 13, 8 references it, the book of life of the Lamb. That's how we get this Lamb's book of life phrase that you've heard throughout the years. In Luke chapter 10, verse 20, the scripture tells us, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that all the things that you saw God do in his power through you, you know, they were going out doing the work, oh God, look at what happened, all these great things took place, and Jesus says, hey, don't be so rejoiceful about this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Where? In the book of life. The Lamb's Book of Life. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. As the church grew and learned and heard more about the ways of God and, and, and continued to understand Him. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also, help these women who have shared my struggle and the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the Book of Life. That's a pretty important book, wouldn't you say? How do you get in it? Who gets to be in this book? I mean, because the people in this book, this land's book of life, are the people that are somehow avoiding this absolute condemnation for sin. Because guess what? Every one of us is in that camp. All has sinned, come short of the glory of God. You too. And so, if sin is something God hates, we've seen that, right? And if sin is something that's automatically going to face a judgment, we've seen that too. How am I going to be able to spend eternity with Him unless something takes care of that? And that's what the Land's Book of Life is all about. That life that Christ paid on the, for on the cross. That's how you get into this book. This book of life, or a book of eternity... You could call it. Eternal life is given only. We see this clearly through Scripture. Eternal life is given only through Jesus Christ our Lord. No other way. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away. All things become new. You know that verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. How about, first, I mean, how about John 5, uh, 6, 54? He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You know, I do not believe this is talking about cannibalism, okay? I believe it's talking about understanding all of my eggs are in his basket. I got no other hope. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 and 30. 
which says, come unto me, Jesus said, all who are weary, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden's light. He's the only one that can get us in to that Lamb's book of life. And I could spend a lot of time talking to you about there, but I hope you got the foundation of that already. Have you really acknowledged Sin in my life is going to be having to be paid for too. If you haven't come to the place of trusting the payment of Christ on the cross to cover your sin, then you're not in the land's book of life. And if you're not in the land's book of life, it's payday someday. Billy Sunday preached that sermon years ago. Well, what about those of us who are? I'm so glad I'm in Jesus that now Jesus just winks at my sin. Uh-uh. No, he don't. Well, what, what, what do you mean he don't? Yeah, he still, he still feels the same way about sin in your life that he felt about sin in your life before you gave your heart to Jesus. Did you know that? He just doesn't happen to be condemning you to hell forever for it. He feels the same way about us walking in his holiness that he did before we gave our hearts to Christ. <laughs> and as we come to Christ, in, as a matter of fact... Did you know that even as believers, we're going to give an account of how we lived our lives? This is another judgment. This is called the judgment seat of Christ. This is not the great white throne where you're either in or you're out. This is you are in, and now how did you live your life? You mean Jesus cares about that? Absolutely he cares about that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what is done in the body, whether good or bad, whether good or evil. Here's the, here's the grace of God. I'm not going to get sent to hell for it, because Christ covered that. But once you're in Christ, something should have changed in you. And if this didn't change in you, you ought to be asking whether I'm in Christ or not. <laughs> once you're in Christ, something should have changed in you. And what should have changed in you was, oh, I do have a heavenly father. Oh, he does love me. Oh, I can trust him. I just want to live for him. And epistemologically, you realize that comes to and I want to be able to lay some crowns at his feet someday. Because I love him so much. And I care about being a testimony that honors him. And blesses his name. Romans 14, 11 and 12. I'm closing with these scriptures. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Lest you think way back in Isaiah, God wasn't really serious about it all. And every tongue shall confess, or shall give praise to God. Ooh, what a day that will be. And you get on over into chapter 24 and 25, especially we begin to see what it's going to look like. And then you get way over into Revelation, and you get to see what it's really going to be like. And then you realize this is a big game God's got going on here. And the end game works out perfect. Even though we're in the middle of it all, we're not so sure. <laughs> he is. So then, 
Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let me encourage you something today. I want you to know, tough things might be going on in your life, but it ain't because God doesn't know. It's because he's got, he's got something going on to try to work in you. Learn to trust him and it'll go a lot faster. <laughs> Learn to trust him and he'll be able to work that into you a lot quicker. Secondly, understand this. God hates evil. And that's why Jesus died on the cross for you. Because he hates evil. He knows it does nothing but destroy your life. And so he offered life in Christ. That's step one for you. But as we're in him, we want to live in that life that honors him to the point that when we give an account, and we will according to the word, that we'll give an account with joy that we can lay those crowns at the feet of Jesus. What an awesome father we have that has painted the full picture for us. Painted the full picture. And as you look at it from, you know, this, I'm chasing, this is my last rabbit. I'm studying, I'm, <laughs> I'm reading some, some stuff in Revelation, okay? And I'm beginning to see some, uh, another way of reading Revelation, not just about the end times. If you're careful and you go through some of those chapters, you begin to see that John's actually telling the whole story again. When it goes through the judgment of Satan and all the things he goes through in the last days, it's really the whole story beginning to end again. And you see it all throughout Scripture. God's fulfilling an entire master plan. Where are you in it? Are you, are you still struggling, not trusting him? Are you in him now, knowing the blood of the Lamb has covered you and you're thankful? Are you... In that place, realizing I need to get some things cleaned up here so that my life does honor Him, does glorify His name, because He's really not happy with the mess that I might have. Just let the Holy Spirit lead you. Walk in submission and faithfulness to that, and God will be honored. Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.